0: This
1: is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and welcome to the next episode of the 1999 World Cup documentary made by Shannon Gill, Dan Bredig and myself as part of our Greatest Season That Was series a few years back. The 2023 tournament has been run and won, but there's still plenty to drift back to from this brilliant competition some 24 years ago. Now, I'll note here that we're a little bit out of order in terms of this re-release. The last time around, you heard the oral history of the tied Semi between Australia and South Africa, which was originally the season finale. But today, we're back to the start, the story of the 99 hosts. For that, we had England's Captain of the Day, Alex Stewart, as our forthright guest. It was the perfect way to start our show back then, and he didn't miss when Target targeting what went wrong when they failed to make it out of the group. So here he is, Alex Stewart on 99. Yeah! Tendorka showing all his plans. Beautifully be balanced again. What a wonderful match. I'm going to get it. see
2: in this world better York
0: than that. That's how oh she's got it.
2: Barbets. Sir Ganguly just waiting on that long enough to place it away from Roads. Rhodes. What
3: the catch! Barbara takes the catch, he just got it away. Who is that? Crash that could be forced.
1: For English cricket, already receding towards the back of the national sporting consciousness, could be grave indeed. Very sad. This
2: to do an interview with the know this is hurting my esteem. make a for the fact that he probably
3: Pray not. Pray not. If the 1980s were English cricket's decade of sex, drugs, and rock and roll excess, the 90s were its decidedly milder and meeker decade. An English team that for the most part had been losing slipped further in the pecking order of world cricket and a sport appeared to slip down the list of priorities for the nation. Alex Stewart was the constant of this decade in English cricket. In fact, he was the highest test run scorer in the world during the 1990s. He seemed to be the Mr Fix-It man for a constantly changing and usually outclassed team. Keeping wickets, not keeping wickets. Opening the batting, batting in the middle order. Wherever there was a gap, Stewart had to fill. By 1998, almost inevitably, that meant the captaincy too. And it started promisingly, Stewart leading the team to its first five-test series win of the decade that year against South Africa. Hopes lifted for what was ahead. The World Cup was born in the UK in the 1970s, and when it returned home in 1999, 16 years later, it was a global event. It had increased popularity of the sport wherever it had gone. Was this the chance for cricket to reclaim its place in the public consciousness, in its birth country? All that hope rested on Stewart's cobbled-together team as he tried to open the batting, wicket-keep and captain. What could go wrong? Alex Stewart joins us to talk about World Cup 99.
1: Alex Stewart, thank you for joining 99. Let's start where England were at the beginning of that World Cup year. The expectations were that you were going to do quite well in that tournament. you off the back of the 98-99 series in Australia. You were going to the UAE to play a tri-series involving Pakistan. If you can you just give us a sense of the mindset around the group at the start of that year?
2: Obviously, any tournament I'm involved in, uh, I want to win, whether it's a back yard game of cricket or whether it's a World Cup. Um, we had a decent side. You know, I'll be honest, it, it's not a great side or wasn't a great side, um, but what it was, it was a group of players that believed in each other, believed in themselves, um, and we wanted to perform. You know, people say, "Was there added pressure because it's a home World Cup?" I always put that to one side. Pressure is just a word. I've always said that it's what you want to put on yourself. Well, if you perform, then and you've done the hard work and things like so, then you should be thinking everything's prepared. Go out there and do it um, without taking in any of the outside influences of media of even if it's the ECB or TCCB whatever it was back then um but going back to the the Sharjah Dubai tournament it we wanted to really practice in England we wanted to play in England um that's the players that's what we felt was right um to give us a an advantage, home advantage, which, yeah, ICC competitions are neutral, or should be neutral, um, but whenever I've played in them and have watched since, the home side does have a little bit of an advantage. So we wanted to be at home, getting used to English conditions, getting a head start on the opposition, um, but instead we went out to to Sharjah, which isn't the worst place to be, but playing in a desert is a little bit different than playing on potential English-style pitches. Um, in English weather.
1: Coming off the back of a, yeah, like I said before, an Ashes series which didn't go particularly well. It, would have, it, would have,
2: it could have gone well if we'd had an umpiring decision go our way in Sydney. Sure. If you remember, Simon sure. fell the third umpire, decided <laughs> to give Michael Slater in when a pretty number of photos show he was eight inches out. But I've got over it. I'm not bitter. Not at all. Much.
1: Worth having, worth, <laughs> worth having that on the record.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the <start>. well, <laughs> something, something else, Alec, about that tour of Australia, though, is that the one-day side is functioning pretty well and you you know if not you, you mentioned umpires if not for um you know maybe one or two interesting decisions in the in the first final you you might have pushed australia all all the way there so you were functioning pretty well as a, as a 50 oversight at that point
2: yeah no we were growing you know don't worry about that um and england you know a lot of this is hindsight and um, because it, it but looking back it was still test cricket was our priority um, and a lot of that was in around the world, but it was all a test cricket and then one day cricket. Whereas nowadays, it's it's equal. You know, you see different captains, you see completely different squads, etc. Um, but having said all that, against Australia, no, we we competed. Um, you know, so don't worry about that. We competed, uh, yet we didn't win it. Um, but we were growing as a unit there, uh, and that was the important thing. You don't want to peak before a tournament starts. You don't want to peak at the start of a tournament. Um, you want to build up to make sure that as you progress, you're getting better and better.
3: One thing that happened in that on that Australian tour that, that maybe overshadowed the performance and, and the growth of the one-day squad was this clash with uh, Arjuna Ranatunga, which certainly made headlines in Australia and, and made headlines back home, I believe, too. That seemed like, a, a you know, the end of a tired tour and it probably was just what you needed, yeah.
2: Oh, no, well, listen, it listen, uh, goes back to saying, you know, again, I want to, um, I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we stand our ground. Now, Ranatunga, since he's packed in, I get on well with. Uh, when I played against him, he was the only bloke who got under my skin. And that game in Adelaide... Um, was as I said at the time, and I still say now that was the least enjoyable game of cricket I was involved in um because it was more than just a game of cricket uh, once they'd called Murley and then Ranatunga took his players to the side of the to the side of the pitch and didn't walk off or else they had have forfeited the game exception and the way they behaved um, is not how it should have been uh, in my opinion uh, and yeah, I let him know. Um, when he came out to bat and he had the and it was a good art as I say so he sort of won the battle because he he did get under my skin you know when the ball used to come in I was keeping wicked and the ball would just bounce before it reached me he'd always happen to either be in a way or run his bat in so you think is it going to hit his bat is it not he never hit his bat but he, he just he did what was right for Sri Lanka um, and yeah, he's, uh, he so got the better of us there, but I wasn't just going to lie down and let him walk all over us. So I did let him know exactly what I thought of him.
1: You, you mentioned the transition before from the TCCB to, to the ECB. Part of that w- was central contracts and the, the the push to make England more cohesive. And, and I guess that was the that was the first year, wasn't it? And there were some fairly tense negotiations in the build up in '98, which were kind of flowing into '99. Yeah, a bit. It was the
2: World Cup contracts. You, will you tell me. I. Didn't think central contracts had come in then, but it was a World Cup contract right, okay. that we signed. So we used to sign contracts for tours. We'd sign a contract for, for the World Cup. Um, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, apologies if I am, I thought central contracts came in a little bit later okay. under the Duncan Fletcher regime. But, but in it, any but case, the, 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 world contract contract the World Cup contract was, uh, was an issue. Yeah. Um, again, biggest tournament in the world of cricket uh, being held in our country. And we were being asked to do things uh, and the expectations and say we weren't going to be mercenary. We just felt that we weren't being rewarded if we were successful. That that was the thing. It wasn't just about taking part. It was if we were going to be successful, we weren't going to be rewarded accordingly. Um, and we just wanted to stand our ground and again say, look, if the game is going to benefit, surely the players that have potentially played a big part in one winning the World Cup, but also putting the... Um, the name of cricket out there again, then the players should receive some of that. Uh, And it went on and on and on. uh, And back in the day, now you have a strong PCA, uh, strong Team England representation. Back in the day, it was left to the players and the captain who had to lead it, which was ridiculous. Um, But it was as it was. So I had to stand up for the the group. uh, And I was the ones who had to sit in with... A couple of EC uh, TCCB officials, uh, and try and push our cause, but we were almost treated as second-rate citizens back then, um, which shouldn't have been the case. Um, So that had no bearing on how we played. You know, we didn't play well enough in the World Cup. But you don't want those issues going into a tournament. You want to feel as though the host board is looking after their players and it's not them and us. It's very much we're all in this together. But it couldn't have been further apart.
1: So a couple of things to take from that. So first of all, how much did, uh, you say it didn't affect the performances, but it was said in wisdom the year after that um, the dispute overshadowed the run-up to an extent to the tournament from England team perspective do you share that view that there was just too much of that and, and secondly how close did it come to you guys blowing the whole joint up did it ever get to the point no, where you no, thought you we're might going
2: to do that because then you're letting yeah. yourselves down you're letting you know your fellow professionals down you're letting your country down so we weren't do it all we wanted to, all we wanted it to happen was for us to be treated fairly and valued that was all and i say again it was rewarding success not just being selected not just appearing it was rewarding success. The, the deeper we went into the tournament, we felt we should be rewarded accordingly. Uh, and we weren't. It was being treated as just another one-day international, uh, which is which it isn't. You know, it's a world tournament. Uh, and also, the the person who Simon Pack was brought in, I forget what his title was, but he was a team director or whatever. You know, it started during the ashes. Uh, and his, his knowledge of cricket was very limited at best, if I'm being polite. Um to such an extent that the day before the first Ashes test in Brisbane, that afternoon, he knocked on my hotel room, came in and wanted to discuss the World Cup contracts. I'm um, saying, look, your timing isn't perfect. I've got an Ashes to concentrate on tomorrow. You want to talk about a World Cup contract. That's the type of thing we were up against, um, and it didn't help.
3: You mentioned before uh, the the want to restore the game in the England Sort of the public's consciousness, and you said that that's not an excuse. But was that a was that felt? Did you know that that was part of the expectation around it? That it wasn't just about winning, but it was seen as this sort of chance to, after a you know a, a fairly lean decade that this was going to somehow bring cricket back and um make it more relevant to people was that something no, it, that people were aware not, of not
2: for me because I, so I try and be a realist you know we'd we'd beaten south africa um the summer before which first time we'd won a five test match series for i think it was 13 years or something mm. um so we're on a bit of a high then the public were were buying into what um english cricket was doing now i was Lucky enough to be captain then. David Lloyd, Bumble, was the coach. We were trying to take the team forward. Um, then we had... you know, Again, I'm saying this, I'm just moaning, which I probably am, but we then played a one-off <laughs> test match against Sri Lanka here at the Oval uh, a week after we'd just beaten South Africa in a series. And when you play Sri Lanka in England, you'd hope that you'd be playing on an English-style pitch. Uh, and that's all we asked for. You know, playing at the Oval, which is my home ground, all we'd ask for was captain and coaches. Can the pitch have a bit of pace, a bit of bounce, and if it goes off straight for the seamers, then that is perfect. One thing it can't do, it can't spin. So we've turned up, there's not a blade of grass on the pitch. Morley we'll really gets sixteen wickets. And <laughs> that's what you're up against. You know, it's we're talking about what is what are we trying to do? We're we trying to make England best. We or too many people just looking after themselves, they're just looking after their own cause. So that sort of continued. So when it was said, you know, we can put English cricket back on the map, we can win the World Cup. Let's be honest, we were not favourites to win that World Cup. Just because you're playing in your home conditions doesn't mean you're going to win a competition, as has been shown in in World Cups in all types of sports. Um, So I sort of put that to one side because I'm very much in the here and now. What can we control? Can we play well? Can we beat the opposition? Can we then move on to the next game? And forget about bigger picture built up by whether it came from TCCB stroke ECB uh, or was it just the English media Uh, and it's an easy line you know Um, but realistically you know if I said to each journalist um, who had been writing those words do you think England are favourites do you think England will win the World Cup I'd suggest if they were honest they'd have said no.
0: The game around uh, this tournament in, in England you know you it's uh, we mentioned central contracts. I think what I think what happened was that they they, they came in in two thousand but there was talk about it through the 1999 summer yeah, that'd be right. yeah. Yep. but but the attempts I suppose to um, bring some, some some pizzazz to the to the tournament were were interesting. One of the questions I had for you was that you you would have played in innumerable different one day uniforms over the time that you played for England. where did the ninety nine World Cup kit rank? <laughs> <laughs> Among the, 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 different, the different types of, of, of clobber that you Dan, wore for Dan, England Dan normally with the hard-hitting
1: questions So they go straight to uh, the Guinness, uniforms uh, I knew,
2: knew, knew you would a fashion guru in Australia um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I tell you that the 92 World Cup kit was the best one by a mile that probably answers the question and things got progressively worse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's quite reasonable. It's kind of emblematic of, of the... Well, you know, parking to one side, the industrial dispute beforehand and, and the expectations. You get to Lords um, the morning of the opening ceremony. I, I've always wondered what you must have thought when... The opening ceremony is taking place the morning of your first game. It's teeming down with rain. Um, there's fireworks in no, the absence you of... fireworks
2: the, never go down that well, do Yeah, they?
1: fireworks at 11 in the morning or, or whatever it was. Uh, the MCC members hadn't really shown up because they had to pay for their tickets that That's day, right. which caused yep. a bit of a did work, them.
2: did it, for yep. uh, the Prime Minister? For Tony Blair's yep. speech, yep. Which, was,
1: which was ridiculed at the bonus. time. Yep. So, you know, all this is going on in, in the side, but were you at the ground watching all this play? I mean, you would have had to have yeah, been, yeah, been so we're to the we in the dressing room. we
2: tossed up. Um, and then, yeah, so because we had that, well, it was a bit more than drizzle, wasn't it? That, that yeah. came down, so I think it was a fractionally delayed start, I yes, think. it was. Yep, um, but now I'm then focusing on the game. Um, but because it's raining, you're on the balcony up there in the pavilion looking out and just thinking, yeah, shambles, uh, and it didn't get much better, you know. That, that, <laughs> and that is being honest, um, as I say, I've Done other interviews about the World Cup. We were poor. Don't worry about that. You know, we were knocked out before the World Cup song was released, and, and all kinds of things.
1: We're coming to that,
2: um, <laughs> and we didn't play well enough. Um, but it, it, it all just married up, really. Yeah. You know, let's get a useless presentation going and make sure the team plays useless. We're we're responsible for being useless, um, but we weren't responsible for the daytime fireworks and everything else. So why is the big game, big day. Yeah, looking forward to it. Say so the three practice games have gone well, boys have performed pretty well, and say so the big one starts tomorrow. How important is it, to, uh, Alex, to get off to a flying start tomorrow? Uh, you want to get off uh, with a win. Obviously, to beat the world champions would be a good effort. Full house start of the World Cup, um, but no, the way the competition is structured, you need to win as many games as possible then why not start tomorrow first
1: game Well, I will say you weren't useless on day one that that no, no. Sri Lanka game I mean you go off and roll them for 202 I think it was and that, 204 rather Alan Mulally is bowling heat and getting edges routinely um, I think there was five or six catches in the slips cordon you knock them off you make 88 Hickey down the other end makes 71 not out I mean y- it goes from being a, you know a, a bit of a, a sketchy build-up into what turned out to be two very comprehensive wins on the bounce to start the tournament I mean you recollections of where you were no um,
2: so we hadn't played brilliantly so we go back to Australia we'd been in some individuals had played well but we were still not firing on all cylinders as a group um, you know just go back before that first game you know Nick Knight had been our opener his form had been sketchy um, and we made a bold decision whether it was right or whether it was wrong we'll never know but we've gone bumbling myself David Lloyd and myself um, have made that decision to, to leave to leave Nick Knight out uh, and bring in Nasser Hussain, uh, that prolific pinch hitter who <laughs> scores at about sixty strike rate, but no, we made we made that um, we made that decision uh, a little bit. You could say was that muddled thinking. It was a late decision. We'd spoken about it for a while, but because we hadn't been firing as we'd want to be, and you know Knighty hadn't set the world alight in recent times, we were thinking, well. If we're going to make a change, let's make it make a change now. Right. Uh, so that so that was that. But then, yeah, against Sri Lanka, we won convincingly. Now you couldn't have wished for a better start in the competition. It's been a marvellous performance all round. This has really set England up for the tournament. Yeah, it is. I've read a lot. We must win today, or else it's the end of English cricket, etc. But we just went out there to do our job, and we did it very well. We played one, we've won uh, one, and then we then go to Canter- uh, Canterbury is that when we then played Kenya or yeah so
1: you, you had two convincing wins but just to kind of you have said about Nick Knight Ferrago in the past that it's one of your sort of great regrets as, as captain in the well, sense that I mean it's obviously hard to retrospectively regret, say you, that you
2: do what you do what you think is right at the time right um, and I haven't got his stats in front of me um, but my perception is rightly or wrongly um, if you looked at say the last six or eight ten innings what did that record look like mm. not just scores Strike rate as well, how he played, what pressure he may have put on the bloke at the other end. So that sort of was our thinking, and we say we haven't spoken about it a lot anyway. Um, In hindsight, would we have done it again? But perhaps not, because Uh, NASA didn't set the world alight and we made a very, very late decision, which obviously looks like muddled thinking, which as leaders is the last thing you want.
0: One of the the factors in this tournament, of course, and very different to to 2019, is that you're using a White Duke's ball that wobbles around a fair bit. Yeah, Alan Mulally is bowling well. Darren Goff has come off a a, a very good Tour of Australia, probably didn't always get reward for, for the quality of his spells. On that tour and then you've got someone like uh, Ian Austin who is, a, is a, a reigning wisdom cricketer of the year as of that uh, as of that summer uh, for, for his county performances the, the preceding year like how did you put together that attack?
2: Well it, it was first up we wanted Chris Lewis. David Lloyd and myself wanted Chris Lewis in that squad and we were denied that opportunity. Uh, the selectors would not allow us to pick him which again is unhelpful. You know, was, when, was
3: there a reason given for that?
2: To be honest, and I've been asked this in recent weeks, I can't remember the exact reasons, apart from we were told we could not consider him, and we're saying we want him. You know, So whether it's high risk, um, and, I, and I say, I'm old now, so my memory does go, but David Lloyd and myself were very strong in saying we want Chris Lewis, but because we didn't get a vote, um, we were could only put our case across Uh, you'd hope or would have hoped that the selectors would have listened to what the captain and the coach wanted in the makeup of their squad Uh, so that was denied so ian austin going back to ian austin he had been prolific for lancashire david lloyd if you remember had been a lancashire coach Um, and lancashire had been a a very very good one day outfit Um, and they're bowling yet they had wasi macram at one end but ian austin had played a massive part um in in success his bowling in english conditions um, both up front and at the death were very very good he could bowl yorkers for fun etc so that was not a problem um, but through not being allowed to pick chris lewis we then picked other people who weren't in chris lewis's or couldn't do what chris lewis could do i bowl yeah. at good pace um could change a game with his pace. Uh, obviously, we know about his, his fielding abilities and he can hit the ball out of the park. So, I'm not saying if we'd had Chris Lewis, we'd have progressed further. Um, but we certainly had one hand tied behind our back. It sounds as
3: if Chris Lewis was not just going to be in your squad, but you wanted him in your 11 to start off. Oh
2: yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm. You know, he, he, which, he was a match More Chris strange. strange. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And. It, <laughs> You add that in with contract disputes and what the authorities are saying, and that's where there's that them and us yeah. rift, um, which was very unhelpful.
1: So, so there's Ian Austin, who's you know 33 years old when the World Cup rolls around. You watch him bowl now. He, he doesn't look like a fast bowler, I think it's fair to say. No. And generous. he wasn't a quick
2: bowler. He was be, a cake on legs. W- you yeah, know, that, better that, you saying it than me but
1: That's yeah. exactly what he was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Did dart the ball around And win plenty of edges But you wouldn't expect him to be Someone who did look like a fast bowler And genuinely was quick And has always been fascinating To Australian audiences Is Alan Mulally. Still prolific on Twitter These days I, I do know as nothing else to do is he? <laughs> But um, tell us a little bit about Alan Mullally, because we know he played in Australia and, and grew up in, in WA and so yep. forth. And um, we all remember what he did in the 99 World Cup, especially early on. We remember him smacking Glenn McGrath around at the MCG yeah. in, in 98. He's, which he's still is that, talking about You, that, you made a so, ton in the first innings and Alan so Mullally made up, runs in, in the second <laughs> innings. Um, what are your re- re- recollections of, of playing with Alan? No, and, Al, Al, I
2: mean, he's, he's a great lad, you know. He's a yep. cool call him a space cadet but in an affectionate way <laughs> um but no he's away with the fairies a lot of the time um but white ball in his hand and, and during that period sort of 98 99 he was you know a first pick player um his fielding was not the best his batting if he made con- contact with the ball would generally go for four but when he didn't he walked off um, but his bowling left arm he understood his game he had good varieties uh, and we almost built our attack around him and Darren Goff um, So he was uh, a key part of what we were trying to put together
1: He, he ended up with the tournament figures of uh, 10 wickets at 17.6 Goff 11 wickets at 17.5 Elam, which is the often underrated Mark Elam 10 wickets at 19 So, so your bowlers did do the job You had Freddie Flintoff, a young Freddie Flintoff in, in the side as well Although not doing as much with the ball in that era Adam Holyoake was probably your, your Chris Lewis replacement really In terms of where you yeah, fit into the side Adam
2: would have been in that side anyway um, But it was... And Adam, you know, he's, he's, he was a fine one-day cricketer. Um, and also his knowledge as well, not just as a player, but a knowledge and everything that he brought to that setup. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word.
1: And then with the bat, you went for a, a quite an experienced side. You had an average age of over 30. It was the oldest team in the competition. You mentioned bringing Nasser back into the side, Graham Thorpe as well, well into his career. Um, but again, there was a lot of responsibility on, on you personally, wasn't there, which was emblematic of, of the 90s in a way, is that a lot of the time that, I mean, you were keeping, captaining and opening the batting, which is something you did on 28 occasions for England. No one's done it more um, in international cricket than you. If you can explain that mindset of thinking, right, well, you know, I'm going to have to do the whole lot myself. Yeah,
2: but it wasn't you only take on roles if you think you can do them um so i never found that hard work you know i'll be honest test cricket i think I only did it once or twice you can't open and keep and captain in test cricket you know you can do it as a one-off but certainly not um not day in day out so it was important that from a one day point of view that was the best for me and the best for the team to o- open a batting uh, keeping wicket looked after itself and the captaincy was was there that was awarded to me um so that it was not a chore in any shape or form so when people say a workload and that so I wouldn't have taken on the captaincy um if I felt it was going to affect my batting and keeping because even though captaincy is a, is a massive honor the most important thing is to perform your duties, which is to bat or bowl or keep wicket.
0: The South Africa game is is an interesting one in terms of it's one of the, the first games of the tournament that's really billed as like, you know, this is a key contest between a couple of the, of the contenders. And I would hazard a guess that for a lot of that game, certainly when South Africa were batting, you felt like you kind of had them not... Um, uh, not in control completely, given the quality of their bowling attack, but they weren't getting away from you. Uh, did you uh, go into to lunch at the Oval that day thinking that um, you you were a fair chance to chase that down?
2: Yeah, again, you know we did a decent job. You also have to remember the, the style. Um, and these are really more for your younger listeners but the style of one day cricket has changed massively since you know the 90s or even early two thousand. so when you look at totals now and it's 300 um, that's worth like 200 um, in, in, in old money so yeah, we knew we were competitive in that first half of the game um, but, like, but like with all these things you then have to get off to a good start um, to make sure that you're putting the pressure back onto the opposition, putting the pressure back onto the bowlers, um, to allow the batting just to take care of itself.
1: It probably didn't help that Alan Donald had a worldly. <laughs> he took yeah. four for 17 in a spell. You're all out for 103, you thrashed... Um, by well over 100 runs. and But it wasn't just the, the loss, it was net run rate, which you probably have shivers when I say the word net run rate given how this affected your tournament at the end of the group stage. But, I mean, you hadn't quite been able to drive Sri Lanka and, and Kenya into the group as quickly as you may have had you known it would have come back to bite you in the ass Yeah,
2: and again, naivety um, on, on our part is that the run rate, it wasn't spoken about. Um, in detail and again is that careless is that just how it was back then because again you know nowadays <laughs> you have it down to a decimal point all all the time so you have your team analysts you know they weren't around back in the day but that's not to say you know we have to take responsibility and, and it was irresponsible one not to be aware of run rates and the Kenya game at Canterbury was, was the biggest thing there we were just winning the game we should have won that game five overs earlier you, you know and that's just how it was but there's people who just played to get a total play to get a win without focusing on the bigger picture Uh, and that's where we let ourselves down now I'm not saying if we'd knocked off Kenya five six overs earlier that may have made a difference further down the line but as a group um, and as a captain you take responsibility Bumble as a coach takes responsibility we should have won that game a lot earlier.
3: South Africa were red hot at that moment in time, and you you may have you may have thought, well, this is not a complete disaster because this is the team to beat. Did you did you feel that they were the team to beat after that day?
2: No, we knew they were a good side. You know, we'd played against them previously as, as, as well within the last twelve months or whatever it was. So we knew they were a very very good side. In the air, Rhodes
0: catches him out. Flintoff has gone.
3: Too early to tell,
0: obviously, but uh, England deep, deep in trouble now.
2: The Australians we knew were good, so there were good sides about. um, But obviously, that was—they showed us that they are a side that um, are going to challenge later on in that tournament. Just through, as you say, they've got some game-changing players, and that's the important thing. AD Alan Donald. had a, had a wonderful spell, which knocked the stuffing out of us, which we never recovered from.
1: Enter Zimbabwe, uh, who end up becoming uh, a real problem for you. Not when you played them, I should add. You held them to just 167 for eight in the 50 overs, which seems ridiculous. Now, Mullally's figures, for what it's worth, 10 overs, four maidens, two for 16. You do make the runs three down, but you take 38 and a half overs to get to 168, which, um, comfortable win, but again, feeds that net run rate problem that you had. And, and I mean, Zimbabwe had been a problem for England a couple of years earlier when, when you are over there. They, they beat you... Did they whitewash you in a one-day series, perhaps in 97 yeah, the or thereabouts? Grandage, and yeah, There was a test yeah. match at Bulawayo where you, where you yeah. were drawn on runs. So That's there had right, been a bit yeah. of an issue for you and, and that was exacerbated when somehow they go away after you pump them and they and they lose to South Africa. And this is where the whole thing goes haywire for England, despite the fact that you'd lost to South Africa. You were 3-1 and one at that point. Zimbabwe, from nowhere, down in Chelmsford, win by 45 runs. Um... To quote Engel at the time, to fail, this is England, to fail from that stage. Zimbabwe had to beat South Africa, which in advance seemed improbable, bordering on impossible, and then England had to lose to India very badly. Then it all happened in the space of two days. And really, all would have been on one day, if not for the fact that on that Saturday, you had bad light stop your game against India after you'd restricted them to 232, which was a fairly chaseable score, even in the, the old money that you're talking about. So what I'm curious about to begin is... When you saw that Zimbabwe had beaten South Africa over in Chelmsford, and your game had been stopped with bad light, with plenty of work still to do with the bat, uh, how did the conversation change? Because suddenly it's gone from know. a game that didn't matter a yeah. lot for sudden death. Yeah.
2: Well, you then know what you have to do. You know that, thats the difference. It wasn't just about winning the game; you had to win the game um, in a certain way. So that—that that was a massive upset. You know, there were a couple of upsets in that in that tournament uh, in the other groups as well. Um, but yeah, once you knew that result. Um, it was then laid out in black and white what we had to do on that second second day at Edgbaston, uh, which we failed to do. Um, but yeah, it adds to it. You know, when you're just going out to win a game, that's tough. When you have to go out there and win a game in a certain fashion, it makes it even harder.
1: Did you watch it together? Did you come off the field with a bad light at your game at Edgebaston? You recall watching what was going remember, on at the other we game? We probably games? did, yeah.
2: but I, I can't honestly tell you. Okay. Um, it's a long time ago. Yeah, that's <laughs> which cool. I'm trying to forget. So, 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 tons of work to do
1: on the next day. You, you need a further 160 runs in 30 overs with seven, seven wickets in hand. Graham Thorpe's out to a dodgy leg before.
2: And only dodgy, is it?
1: Only yeah. Well, yeah, one <laughs> how, that was going out of foot. How, how dodgy side. was it, Alec? How, dodgy. Yeah, how bad was that decision? On a
2: scale. Um, <laughs> I'd suggest if someone else was umpiring, perhaps it wouldn't have been given, and we'll leave it at that.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, ever the <laughs> diplomat.
3: Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll check, check that. One yeah.
0: <laughs> someone else to mention, and particularly not so much the next, the the the, the restart the next day, but um, as the gloom is enveloping uh, the ground, the uh, the the man who, who who puts you off balance is uh, Debashish Mahanti. Swinging the um, the new Dukes ball around as, with the with the cloud cover coming over. What do you remember of of his bowling?
2: Uh, again, it's yes. I'm pleased you mentioned a name because I couldn't remember the fella's name as as you said it there. Being honest, um, but no, it was once cloud cover comes over with that Duke ball, um, it was hard work. Um, you know when you got a. A bit, if you're a big name in the game, whether you're on Alan Donald, Glenn McGraw or whatever, or you're a relatively unknown Indian, once you get the ball off straight with cloud cover in England, um, it, batting becomes that much tougher. And he, you know, he earned the right to bowl the way he did. Um, and he got the better of us that night.
0: The critical wicket, really, of those because you would have expected maybe to lose a couple in those conditions. But Nasser Hussain uh, gets out just before the, it's called off for the for the day. And you might not remember that. Um, you know, I suppose how he was specifically, but he he was he was known as most batsmen are, but but known for getting. Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty shirty after a, a dismissal at a key time in a game.
2: Oh yeah, like anyone. Uh, Say so not it It's not at the front of my memory, but uh, but plenty of his dismissals and his reactions uh, can be. Um, but it, listen, it's part of the game. Everyone reacts differently when they when they're out. Some just come in and take the helmet and gloves and bat and pads off and put it neatly b- away in their bag or locker. And others probably get it off a little bit quicker and then have to pick their gears up in other people's locker doors um, late later on, but. You know you never want to enjoy getting out um but it was a timing of it that's the thing as you say with the bad light coming in um and you always whenever you get out and then not long after bad you walk off a bad light that's you know real frustration
1: stewie there's a lot that goes down across those couple of days so you get flogged in the end really the final result um you bowled out for 169 and the 46 over which you knew then and there you were killed. You come under the hammer on the basis that you bowled first in every game. Like Every, every bit of your your, your World Cup is, is unstitched by the press the next day. As you'd expect, the bloodletting begins. The implications for English cricket, already receding towards the back of the national sporting consciousness, could be grave indeed.
3: Very sad. This, to do an interview as we are know this is hurting like stink, I can promise you. Because we didn't want to go out of the tournament in this way, and we've not played well enough in two crucial games. Um, and we'll get... Um, in the next couple of three days, an aftermath and a backlash from that.
1: John Etheridge in The Sun his quote the next morning was, let's get things fully in proportion. This was only the most catastrophic day ever for English cricket. Now, whether he'd still say that's the case, not to know, <laughs> but it, it gives you a sense of the, the way that the world was closing in around English cricket at that exact moment. I mean, the next morning, you said that the single came out, that the World Cup song from the from the bloke from the Eurythmics arrives. At the same time that England are losing, Australia via Steve Waugh are running their go slow against the West Indies, which we'll come to in another episode, but that didn't reflect particularly well upon the Super 6 system and the net run rate tie-breaking facility. There's a newspaper advertisement in the Observer on that Sunday selling tickets to England Super 6 games, which of course now there would, wouldn't be any because you were knocked out unexpectedly in such spectacular fashion. Alec, you said at the time that it felt just as bad as the 1992 final loss. Is, is that still your reflection that that was a, just a, a horrific day for English cricket and you personally?
2: Listen, the media is how you wish to affect me. I mentioned John Etheridge. Now He was in a year above me at school. I know his knowledge of cricket, you know, so you, you put everything in perspective. You look at the type of newspaper that these people write for. There's tabloid newspapers, there's broadsheets, and and it's just how it was. Is there's, there's never any grey area, you know. And journalists, and I'll do a bit of media now. They're always speaking in hindsight, so whatever they've written previously can be ripped up, and they're always writing in hindsight. So they're only words. And then again, it's how you do you want them to affect you. Do you take no notice of them? And that's how I am. You put it all in perspective. Do I want to be listening to and reading about John Etheridge? I used to read the papers as much as, you know, out of interest. So I never said, oh, I'm not one to read the papers. But don't let it affect you. I wanted to know what was being read, uh, written, so that I sure was getting an idea of what the public may be thinking. But don't let people like John Etheridge worry you too much. Because... He's doing his job the best of his ability. He is writing for a tabloid newspaper. He therefore has to glorify everything, whether you win or lose. It, 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 so there's no middle ground. So even when you win, you're suddenly the best side in the world. When you lose, you're the worst side in the world. So it doesn't mean anything. A, a bit,
1: OK, parking to one side, the coverage, but just more from your perspective, David Lloyd had already signalled that he'd be leaving the coaching job. Let's be blunt, you were sacked after, you know, yeah, it, 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 was again, a, it was a pretty so, brutal kind but, of process, but, well, right?
2: Again, and, you know, you use the word sacked. Again, you have to remember, you're only appointed for a timescale. So Mm -hmm. use the word sacked, fine, or you can use the word you weren't reappointed after... So, you know, again, do you want to be glorified? Is it sacked or are you just not reappointed after the timescale you'd been given?
1: So just to be clear, so people, who, as you say, are younger listeners, yeah, so this I was, the was in the era where captains of England were appointed for a certain tour, Correct. not indefinitely.
2: Exactly, 100%. So that's what I'm saying. If you want to say sacked, you know, I'll take that if that's what you want to say. Or you want to say you weren't reappointed um, for, the, for the next series against New Zealand. So I knew it was coming. I knew I wouldn't be captaining against New Zealand despite having won that five-test match series against South Africa, uh, nine months
3: hinged Do you think that hinged on the World Cup performance completely, or was that something uh, that may have happened it, well, anyway?
2: You'd have to ask the people who made those decisions. Um, I've since been told, and you'd have to be a rocket scientist to work out, there'd be contract negotiations, mm. there'd have been the early World Cup exit. Uh, then the media, as you say, and the media in, would influence national selectors uh, at the time heavily because the, that person or those people didn't want to appear unpopular, so... Mm. All, all those types of things. All I wanted to do was play for England. If I was yeah. captain, brilliant. And if I wasn't, I still wanted to play for England. Um, but it was the way it was all dealt with. You know, I knew it was coming, but it then took the chairman of selectors three weeks or whatever, um, two and a half, three weeks to make that decision. Despite having to come to see me twice, face to face, I then eventually picked up a voice message um, to say a decision had been made. So that's what you're up against. Um, mm. And I might, you know. it, it say so you get over it. it. It's just how it was. Um, and you just hope that you know people are treated differently nowadays and you try and treat people as you'd wish to be treated yourself. Uh, and let's not hide behind tough decisions. Get out there, say it, and then you can move on. Just All you ever want is honesty from people. That, that's the biggest thing. Uh, deal with it, be grown-ups, look each other in the eye, and then move on.
0: You touched earlier, Alec, on net run rate and not really as a team... Accounting too much for it, and intriguingly, the 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 three games that you that you win, just counting them up there, you know, you lose a combined six wickets in those three games chasing, uh, which you know obviously indicates that there was the opportunity to 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 go for those runs a little bit um, a little bit quicker. And Adam mentioned uh, Steve Waugh in Australia uh, trying to manipulate the net run rate in their own. Uh, final qualifying game uh, against the, the the West Indies. Like, do you do you think that um, in analysing and, and thinking through how that tournament played out for, for England, that um, that it did help result in, in a more um, uh, in, in a more rigorous or, or analytical approach to to limited overs cricket?
2: Um, well, yeah, because you you always want to learn. You never want to stop learning. Uh, You know, going back to Steve Ward, it's the last game of a a group game, I believe, wasn't it? So it's already there, you know, and I say I wasn't in the Australian dressing room in games one, two, three or four. I've never been in the Australian dressing room, but were they thinking that? Or because it is there in black and white, a bit like our India game, you know what has to happen. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to deflect from our inefficiencies in trying to win those games quicker. Um, But at the same time, I don't want to be saying the Australians or Steve Waugh was way ahead of everyone else's thinking when I haven't been in their dressing rooms, But it was then obvious because it was out there that if they took their time in winning a game, then it would affect the positions in the table and who they then played later on.
3: Losing the captaincy after the World Cup, you're 36. Probably a lot of people around the place might have thought that you would... Quietly slip off into the distance in not that long a time, um, and you know you, we talked about the media before. It seems a lot were actually walking you to the gallows just one test after that World Cup. Um, but you stuck around and thrived, and you were you were there in two thousand and three, and you and you ended up even keeping wickets and as a standing captain in two thousand and three, at the World Cup. Um, you are famously a team man, but is there a little little bit of individual satisfaction that you didn't bow out like that in 99 and you, you kept going and proved a few wrong?
2: Yeah, it's not just about proving th- other people wrong. It's proving yourself right. Mm. Um, you know, I have big self-belief, if you haven't got that already. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I love playing cricket. You know, it's it's been my life and still is my life. Um, but I also have huge pride in, in playing from a country. that That was a big thing. You know, that's why... Yeah, you know, I trained hard. Um, you know, I wanted to be the best that I could be to give myself a chance of playing for for England, and therefore trying to make my country successful. Um, and I, because I loved the game, doing the extra hard yards in the nets or on the training ground in the gym or whatever it was came easy. It was second nature. I just wanted to be the best I could be to help my team that I played for, whether that was Surrey, England, or whoever. Um, so it never ever crossed my mind that I was going to pack it in after 99 world cup if the selectors felt they wanted to do that um then that's their decision and that's out of my control all i can do is perform and then hope that the selectors are still picking their best available 11. um so yeah the next game we got norton one i think at, at edge against new zealand uh, they took the gloves off me remember the chairman of selectors saying um, double whammy you're not captain uh, anymore but we know you like opening the batting so we'll let you open in the next test um, and hopefully you'll get some form back. Well two games later I'm back batting at four and keeping Wicked again so it, it I just did what was best for the team um, and, and carried on from there and then I got left out that winter uh, ninety nine 2000 we went to South Africa. Um, I got picked for a test series but they decided to leave me out of the one day squad because they were building for the next World Cup by the following summer I'm player of the series in the one day triangular against <laughs> West Indies and Zimbabwe so you know I don't want to appear big headed but I knew I had a lot to offer still despite you know age always put to one side if you're fit enough um, and strong enough etc um, then keep going and it's I've said it's just a unit for experience age um, and, and that's what it is
3: would that say at, at that age it's the mind more than anything else that this people yeah, if
2: you can still do yeah. your job and you believe you've got something to offer why give it away? You know, I always say to players, you know, retire when you are ready because mm-hmm. you're then a long time retired. You know, you never want to retire too early, but at the same time, you've got to judge it right when to go. You still want to go when you're still a good player.
1: Sort of a helicopter view as we near towards the end here, Stewie. The 90s are a decade in English cricket which get and get written talked about so much. I mean Emma John's book and the documentary on Sky a couple of years ago. The very fact that we're talking about it today and the end of that story is. England out of the World Cup at the first stage for the first time, and then getting booed on the balcony at Lord's when New Zealand beat you in a test series, it was it at, at the Oval rather, um, not long after. But all the same, you were England's most important player in the 90s. You scored more test runs than anyone on the planet through that decade. How do you look back at it 20 years later, thinking about that decade, um, for England cricket and, and for you personally? When, when you, do you view it as a period where um, you did everything you possibly could and, and there, there wasn't a huge amount more you could personally do? Or is there an element of you wish you were born maybe 10 years later when <laughs> not, not just for, I'm sure, the remuneration's a lot yeah. better 10 years later, but also the guess, chance to play in a few more successful sides?
2: Yeah, listen, I, I love playing for England, as I said. So, you know, you play in the era that, that you're born. You know, that, so that's what it was, and you know, we had some good times. We had some really tough times, and you know, we had some really good players. Um, and again, you learn a lot. So, <laughs> the continuity or inconsistency of selection never helped. Um, the amount of cricket that we were playing, both county cricket and then England cricket, so you could have you've learnt, or everyone has learnt so much from yesteryear. Um, but at the time, that that's what it was. So, you know, I just wanted to be the best I could be. Yeah, I grew up wanting to play with Surrey. I wanted to play for England. I uh, was lucky enough to be selected once for England, and once I'd experienced that, I wanted more of it. Um, and I played with some very, very fine players. Um, but what we weren't, we weren't consistent enough. We weren't consistent enough in selection, we weren't consistent enough in our performances, and therefore our overall record was hugely inconsistent.
1: Alec, one thing I neglected to ask earlier, um, Caprice. Whenever you ask anyone about the 99 World Cup in England they talk about the, the glamour model Caprice who was uh, involved in all the lead up and I had looked through some old photos yesterday. You did several photo Lots shoots. Lots of her, and, shoots. She, <laughs> and she freely admitted um, after the, uh, um, uh, during the World Cup, she knew nothing about the game or anything like that. Well, what are your memories of Caprice and her involvement in the tournament.
2: Well, uh, why? <laughs> I think it's probably you know, that, and again, that you know, taking nothing away from from Caprice because she was paid to do a job. But all I'd say is why? Why would the ECB or TCCB or ICC, whoever it was, involved? It was that to add glamour to a tournament. Let the cricket be the glamour. Um, but you know, that's how it was.
0: In terms of, uh, I guess, uh, looking at where England cricket got to by the time that you finished up relative to where it was in in 99 i mean how 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 far off do you think england team and ecb slash tccb were at that point from i suppose getting the sort of unity and professionalism and and being able to all work in the in in the same direction that that you were quite soon after that to achieve
2: i mean miles away bec- but that's how it was you know i'm sure other countries would say similar um You know, what then happened? Once central contracts came in, once there was more stability brought into the setup and the Duncan Fletcher, uh, Nasser Hussain reign, um, which Michael Vaughan then inherited, um, England haven't looked back since then. You know, so the current day are reaping the rewards of what, what was, and quite rightly so, because it is a professional game. Um, and you want people to want to play, you want people to be successful, and therefore, if you're successful, you should be rewarded. Um, but it's professional. Don't just use professional in name, but in everything you do, you've got to make sure it is the best it can possibly be. So make sure the individuals, and also make sure that the groups, and also the, it's a business now, um, is all going in the same direction and there aren't splits. Once you get splits in any camp, however big or small it is, there are issues. So it's important that you go as one, you grow as one, you learn as one. If you make mistakes, you learn as one, but you win together, you lose together and you don't fragment and then point fingers elsewhere.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to the Final Word Podcast.
3: Alec, after you were knocked out, did you actually watch the tournament, or did you want to
2: well, I, uh, stay away I, from I, I it completely? Two days later, two or three days later, I was back playing county cricket again. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah honestly. So that, that's, how, that's how it was. Yeah. Um, you know, Again, just giving give you an example before I answer your question, it was we'd played um, later on that summer, we'd played New Zealand. we won a test match um, on the Saturday afternoon, finished around 4 o'clock. My phone went at quarter past four, having just won a test match, to say from Surrey, to, from Keith Medlicott, the coach, to say, We've got a one day game at Derby on Sunday. Can you play? The test match was due to finish on the Monday.
0: <laughs> and I'm going,
2: <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> Can we not enjoy a test, a test win type of thing? Uh, and, and that's, again, sort of encapsulates where cricket was back then. Um, what was your question again? I've, I've the, forgot the, the what it question, was. I just question, want to make that point. Was <laughs> I watching it? Did, 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 you, of it. did you take any yeah, yeah, notice? Yeah, so did so did it South Africa, the South Africa-Australia semi-final, uh, Alan Donald, Lance Klusner, oh. over and that... Um, yeah, I can't remember where I was watching it, but I was watching it. I'll be honest, I was desperate for South Africa to win that, um, <laughs> even though this is going out in Australia, going out everywhere, um, <laughs> going everywhere.
3: <laughs> be truthful. Um, we wouldn't expect but, yeah, anything but, no, worse. To be
2: honest, I didn't sit down and, and say, oh, "Can I have a ticket? Can I go and watch?" Or what am I doing today? I'm sitting in front of a sitting on my couch watching the TV. That wouldn't have been me, but I was certainly mm. aware of how the competition was was carrying on. But I, By then, I was back focusing on Surrey and then getting ready, ideally, for the series against New Zealand, which was to come.
1: Alec, uh, I know we've been asking you some questions today about a period of English cricket which wasn't particularly flattering and and one that you had to oversee, and it was a challenging time, but um, for being so generous with your time uh, and, and for your contribution as a giant of England cricket, we've been thrilled to have you on 99. Thanks so much.
2: Pleasure. Thank you.
1: The Greatest Season That Was presents World Cup 99 with Adam Collins, Dan Brittig and Shannon Gill. Uh, Let's start, Gilly, with England cricket across the 90s. It was a tournament, as we said to Stewie, that was built up around the idea of not saving or salvaging England cricket, but giving them a positive note to end the millennium on after after what was such a choppy and topsy-turvy period of time. And, And even the World Cup almost reflects that, doesn't it? Because they, they do win three games and lose two, but it's remembered as a complete disaster. But it wasn't quite like that for England cricket. They weren't always terrible. It's just that their, their really high points were punctuated with some very deep lows.
3: Yeah, I think it, almost the, the the unusual and shambolic exit is almost uh, symbolic of the 90s and their, um, shall we say, <laughs> shambolic uh, organisation at times during, during the, that decade. But... Um, Yeah, look, Alex Stewart was was really candid with us in uh, how he interpreted it uh, at the time and um, I think that uh, that... That era, we—I mean, we have a memory. Being Australians, we have this this memory of of England, you know, Australia beating up on England through that decade. But there, there was good moments, and I think sometimes this this team. You look at this team, and it, the expectations of them winning—I I don't know if anyone had realistic expectations of them winning. But there was the want that let's cap off the decade in a more positive way by br- bringing the World Cup home. Whether it's that be it, just playing it at home, not necessarily winning it. And putting up a good fight but sadly it didn't happen and they weren't there at the business end when they thought they would be. But it is sort of a symbolic uh, end to the decade but things were to get better.
1: Dan, in order for a team to win a World Cup usually everything needs to be pulling in the same direction and speaking to Alec then about the The UAE tour beforehand, so not necessarily maximising their home advantage uh, in the build-up, and then the contract dispute for their World Cup deals, which was kind of feeding attention around central contracts more generally as this move went from the TCCB to what we know it as today. It it didn't help. I mean, Alec was quick to um, to reinforce that it had nothing to do with their final performance, but yeah, over over several World Cups, when a team wins, it tends to be the case that things are going in the right direction.
0: The fact of the matter is that for a long time from the, um, from the late 80s through until the end of the, the 90s, uh, the England team had one massive you know, institutional disadvantage relative to Australia in particular, which was that they didn't have any central contracts and they didn't have any sense of an England team apart from when they'd turn up together as a squad immediately before a tournament or a test match. And that was an issue that had been recognised and was being worked through around the year of 1999. There was a dispute that was interrelated to that about World Cup contracts, which is really the last one that the uh, that the England team has to uh, uh, negotiate prior to a whole new system coming in. So uh, yeah, there's a sense that the that the England team um, that Alex Stewart is is trying to lead uh, is straining to to get to a to a new and better model for uh, how to operate. And Dan, just following up on that, there is that
1: part at the end of the interview where um, Alec references whether he was sacked or just not reappointed. It, it's a reminder of how different. England cricket was compared to Australian cricket in that you were appointed just for a tour. It's like old-fashioned MCC days, really, when you, when you consider that was the way their, their captaincy was set up. Oh,
0: yeah, it's a, a very, very um, anachronistic by that point in time when you think about how the Australian set up, the ACA had been instituted in 1997-98 and there was a whole new model there for, for player payments um, for the Australian team and uh, central contracting system that had been in place already for more than a decade and it had been gradually refined over that period, whereas England were, as I say, uh, getting match payments or a tour payment and that was basically it. And the appointments were, um, yeah, very much uh, on a match-by-match on match or series-by-series series basis, if you were lucky.
3: And that, that's sort of brought home by the fact that Alec talks about the, in the in the 12 months prior to that... Day before he, the first Ashes test in ninety eight ninety nine, and knocked on the door uh, from uh, I think it was a guy called someone Stuart Mack I think and uh, wants to wants to chat about player contracts for the World Cup. Now, not only is that the wrong time to be talking about player contracts, but He's talking to Alex Stewart, the captain of the team, about this at this point in time. It it, it sounds quite. It sounds like seventies era uh, World Series cricket style. Um, you know, talk to Ian Chapel about about player payments.
1: Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And and even uh, Shannon, the way that flows through to Alec not getting the squad that he and David Lloyd, the then coach, wanted with mm. Chris Lewis. That was a nice little nugget that uh, Alec uh, discussed there too in the. I mean they had a guy not only did they want for the squad but he wanted him in his 11 and for reasons that weren't entirely clear he was left out altogether
3: Yeah and I suppose I mean look cricket history is littered with uh, with these unusual circumstances where a captain or a, or a coach wants a player in but um, different to every other sport where the coach pretty much gets final say there's a selection committee that, that decides on these things but when it comes to a World Cup and a World Cup squad it, just, it does seem highly unusual that a uh, a a captain and coach would both be so strongly campaigning for the the inclusion of Chris Lewis. Having said that, we we looked through the stats. He hadn't played a lot of one-day cricket in that time. But if the captain wants a player to play in his 11 to win the World Cup... Uh, I mean there's there, as he said there were signs earlier that maybe he wasn't going to be captain too much longer Dan the bowling actually
1: wasn't too bad we mentioned the, the numbers and ran through them all Alan Malally's the one who we um, tend to remember likewise Darren Goff but but Ian Austin had a pretty good tournament and uh, did Mark Elam. Like they, they took their wickets and, and were able to uh, restrict teams um, by way of run rate but uh, they just didn't have the batting firepower or, or rather they, they did have the batting firepower to, to win games but, but not quickly enough as became evident uh, when net run rate played a role after their loss to India.
0: Yeah, the, the fact that there wasn't quite the urgent, urgency to really ram home results when they were playing and beating the teams that they did beat. In, in each case bowling first knocking their opponent over for a for a middling to low score uh, and then kind of ambling to the to the target which you know really cost them in the end in particular because they got thrashed so badly by South Africa Putting them um, essentially a game behind other teams when they came up against India in the in the final game, and you know the the fact that cricket was still developing in terms of the um, the understanding of those kinds of calculations, and also yeah, just the fact that you know getting the getting the job done in terms of the result and not thinking too much about the run rate. Similarly. Uh, win the game against South Africa where they were beaten so badly. You know, had they just uh, you know, stretched out that innings and maybe eked out an extra 50 runs or so, that moment that may, may have made a big difference.
3: And, Colo, I was, I was happy that Alec decided to help you out with your diplomatic reference to Ian Austin's physique.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: it was at the keg on legs. Uh, it wasn't bad at all. Uh, Gilly, talking of the bowlers and Alan Mulally, um you and I were, were talking a fair bit about trying to get him on the show to go behind the curtain a bit here. We will keep trying to get Alan Mulally on the line. He's very prominent on Twitter. And if we were to get him on, what we'll do is we'll we'll put it out as a bonus episode on the Patreon page, which we'll explain a bit later on. But he's the sort of character where... I think we'll always remember him. Partly, perhaps due to his name, the fact that he was from Western Australia, the fact that he bowled fast, yeah. the big shock of blonde hair, and so forth. He's a fascinating character even now.
3: Yeah, well, he was one of those. I mean, I remember as a kid hearing about him, and, and when he was still playing for WA or just starting it mm. in in Western Australia, and spoken about as a potential Test prospect for Australia. And it was, you know, him and the Martin McCaigs of the world that went. Went back and then ended up playing, ended up playing international cricket for England. Um, so it was someone that certainly, in my mind, but. Uh I didn't... It's only in recent years I've been aware of uh, just how different he can be. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. A, a cursory glance at his Twitter page will reinforce that. So he, he'll be a fun guest if we get him down the line at some stage. Uh, sticking with you, Gilly, I know you were really interested in, in the lead-up to that interview about the Nick Knight story and, and uh, Alec was was kind in detailing the fact that much as it was the case with Chris Lewis, had he had his time again, um, he'd have had Knight in his 11. He just had that poor patch of form at, at the worst possible time which meant that Nasser Hussein was able to leapfrog him which now looks a fraction odd given the, the way NASA played compared to Nick Knight, which isn't to diminish Hussein's career, but I mean Nick Knight was, was almost ahead of his time as an opener.
3: Yeah, and I think that's the thing that he probably does regret that that the way that the way their tournament went and the and the way the tournament played out outside of the, the England team and, and the fact that scores were low and often it was one brilliant innings that might have uh, lifted a team over the line, that maybe Nick Knight was the guy who could have done that, and yes he was in bad form, but would he have come off once or twice in the World Cup um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a tournament where anything other than more than more than 220 seemed to be competitive, that all he would have to have done is, is gotten, gotten half lucky and made a 60 or 70, and it might have been a match-winning knock, so um, that was interesting to hear that, and, and that you know nick knight might have been that x factor that they didn't end up having and Chris Lewis might have been another X factor that they obviously couldn't couldn't have either. Uh,
1: Dan, putting on your news hound hat, uh, Alec asked about the uh, the Graham Thorpe League before wicket decision at, uh, against India in that in that crucial uh, in that crucial chase which they fell well short in. His comment there about Javed Akhtar the umpire and uh, the fact that had it been anyone else umpiring, he suspects it wouldn't have been given out. That, that's a uh, that's uh, that's quite bold. And uh, again, Alec's not one to mince his words, is he?
0: It's it's an interesting um, point in terms of. You know the the way that certain umpires have issues follow them around at times. Javed Akhtar mm. actually, the year before, had been involved in a Test match which went in the favour of England, in which he gave um, rather a lot of uh lbw decisions um in the deciding test between england and south africa at headingley uh one of which right. uh was the the last one of the match uh to darren goff to winning on their first five test series in in a decade so uh you know uh, it, i suppose you should you could perhaps look at it from a more philosophical perspective that uh Java'd giveth and Jarved taketh away
1: We went through the entrails of that departure with Alec in great depth, so we won't do that again. But what I will uh, ask you about is how wonderful it was that he was able to have not not so much a second coming but almost like a fourth coming as an English player, really, um, at the back end. And and then, as you pointed out in in your question, that he even captained England four years later at the next World Cup.
3: As, As he says in the interview, it's all about the team, and it's not about the individual. But I'm—I think even if you're an English cricket fan, or particularly an Alex Stewart fan, you would have been heartened by the fact that he didn't go out as the sacked captain, who you know presided over this um, supposedly disastrous World Cup campaign. And look, in in most you know most um, situations, at 36, you probably would have expected him to be finishing off fairly soon, but. Um, I mean but I mean the thing is he, he probably defied the odds a little bit because of his fitness his strong will um, the fact that he had such a commitment to the to the game um, that kept him going and and he he flourished again and I think that's a really nice sort of postscript to this um, story which might not be a great story for English cricket fans.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Having had the um, great fortune of working a bit with Alec over the last few years and and observing him up close in his job these days as the czar of sort of Surrey cricket and his place in in the game, uh, the passion remains. No, no doubt about that.
3: He he talked about um, you know keeping his fitness up and so forth, and he strikes me as the sort of guy. And I think you 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 could tell me absolutely this color that if he wasn't playing cricket at um, at at 37, 38, 39, he still would have been super fit and doing all the training that would have mm. seen him been able to play for England so um, if he he's different to a lot of he seems different to a lot of creators in that respect who love playing the game but it's the periphery training and and um, physical commitment that they just can't get through, their mind can't get through, whereas he thrived on
1: that. Oh, absolutely. He'd be, what, 56 now and he looks like he's 40, so um, if he is listening, he's listening to his back, he quite like that. Uh, Dan, uh, in closing, uh, w- w- as it relates to Alec, uh, where does he sit in the English game? Where do you think uh, historically when you're casting a lens back at the, the 90s and, and the place that Alex Stewart holds in it?
0: Undeniably a a, um, a great top-order batsman. Uh, his record as an opening batsman for England in particular is 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 truly outstanding, particularly given the calibre of bowlers that were around at the time. Uh, obviously, a long-term wicketkeeper batsman. And as a captain, uh, I think he probably... Um, you know doesn't really have a a, um, a a set really place in the pantheon I think largely because um, there's a bit of a sliding doors moment there where he could quite easily have been named England captain rather than Mike Atherton in 1993 and then you have a very different sort of um, sort of story for uh, um, everyone to, to ponder with with Alex Stewart but uh, yeah undeniably a, 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 a great English player in the in the 90s and someone who I think was a Bit unfortunate to be handed the England captaincy right at that time when they were trying to break out of the um, uh, anachronistic ways of of the TCCB into uh, the England system that we know today. A fantastic first guest for
1: the '99 series. Uh, let's let's wrap it up there. Thanks for your company. Thanks to Alex Stewart. This is the greatest season that was World Cup '99. It's The Final Word with Adam Collins. That was good fun listening back. I hope it hit the spot for you as well. There aren't many similarities in world cricket between then and now, but England bowing out then as they did this year in India, well, it's an easy joke if nothing else. All right, as we round this off, a quick note that all of our reps on the final word feed through the Australian summer are brought to you in conjunction with our great mates at CBus Super. They're celebrating their 40th birthday in 2024. Seabus have enjoyed strong returns over the long term. Year after year, the default investment option growth, My Super, has delivered for members, returning on average 8.89% per year since inception some 39 years ago. Take a look at seabussuper.com.au, remembering, as always, that past performance isn't a reliable indicator of future performance. Also, don't forget that we have our live show tickets on sale at the moment. We're at the Corner Hotel in Melbourne on the 11th of December and the Comedy Store in Sydney on the 7th of January. The ticket link is there in the show notes. And to keep supporting what we're doing week to week, please jump on patreon.com forward slash the final word. There really is no better place to talk cricket than our Discord channel, which is what a pledge gets you entry to before we tell your story on our weekend history show. It'll be Jeff with me next in our feed on our weekly app, followed by Storytime as always on Saturday. And we'll also have another 99 app coming soon, probably this time next week. Alright, thanks for listening. Bye for now. I had to go about